welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Before you sit down, I want you to high-five the person next to you and say, Welcome to Vision Sunday. There you go. Now look at the person who you ignored and tell them the same thing, your other neighbor, maybe the person you came to church with today. God is good, amen? Just by, by way of confession and just in relaying uh, just a message from the song that we just sang, who, who can honestly say this morning, I need Jesus? Who can say that? Just say that with testimony. Say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. If you need Jesus, tell your neighbor, say, I need Jesus. Tell your same neighbor, and you need him too. Why was it more fun to say it the second time than the first time? I don't know. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here today. This is Vision Sunday. I'm just like pent up at the excitement as to see what God has for us and um, just kind of sharing some things that I already know in advance and just a direction of what it is that God is doing. And I'm so glad that you're a part of it, whether you're here in the room or you're uh, just gathering somewhere huddled up warm at home or somewhere else. Um, I'm so glad just to be able to be here in this moment, in this time, as we're desperate for the things of God, and we're eager to see what it is. If you're eager to see what it is that God has for us, say amen. Amen. Recently, we were uh, at home, we were just having a conversation about some of the amazing things that God has allowed us to do since we've been in ministry, and just... We just started to recall as a family some things that just moments, special moments that God has allowed us to take part in and, and just going through. And it was just amazing to me because we started talking about we did this and we did this and we did this and we did this. And then Marla said, she's like, and they were all free. And they were all free. I don't know about you, but free, free is better than cheap. You know that? Have you figured that out? It's like, and, and they were all free. And it was all just these amazing experiences that we got to take our kids on. And, and it was so crazy to me is, is we're kind of recalling back and forth. There are things that I'd even forgotten. And so Marla would say something, and I was like, oh, yeah. And then I would say something, and then kids would say something. And, like, we're just kind of going down memory lane talking about some amazing things that God has allowed us to take part in, many of which were free. And we thought when we were just going into ministry and we just were forsaking everything in our past, just saying, God, put us going forward. It's like we had no idea that, that we would be able to do those things or take part in, in what it was that God allowed us to take part in. He's still allowing us to take part in. But the same offer is available for you. And so we had a, one of the memories that came to mind was actually a memory that my son and I shared and again, just an amazing opportunity, February 7, 2008, he and I had the opportunity of going to see the shuttle launch from the Space Center. And not only from the Space Center, because a lot of people do that in proximity, but we were literally right next to the astronauts' families. 
And so we're there at the closest viewing point and just, we had like badges. I have no idea why we got badges. Like we were all official and they knew, they knew we were coming and we had to be vetted and approved. And again, I don't even recall, it was 2008, I don't recall all the things that went into it. But here's just a moment, just a moment in time. This is what we saw, but it was much more cool in person. But here's a video of the launch. T minus 10, 9, 8, go for main engine start. 7, 6, main engine ignition. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, and liftoff of Space Shuttle Atlantis as Columbus sets sail on a voyage of science to the space station. Roger, roll, Atlantis. Columbus weighs anchor from its port in Florida. Atlantis on the proper alignment, heads down, wings level for the eight and a half minute ride to orbit, taking aim on the International Space Station for docking on Saturday. T minus 10, 9, 8, go for maintenance and start. 7, 6. So that was STS 122. And of course, there have been dozens of shuttle launches, but I just wanted to just kind of give you a glimpse into what we experienced. You couldn't feel it like we could feel it. You could feel the rumble in your chest. And it was just like this incredible moment where we're just kind of captivated by everything that's going on and the sheer power and magnitude of that moment. And, and for me, I have a, a history of loving aeronautics and space and aviation and those kinds of things. And, and you know, the, the more that I think about that and being able to be there in the moment experiencing that, I, I just can't help but think of like, actually our exploration into space hasn't actually been that long. It's only a few decades before that when President Kennedy had the vision and, and, and just he spoke that vision into reality. And before all of America, and he says that within the next 10 years that he, his, the, the vision he cast was to put people on the moon so human beings could walk on the moon. And they did that in just shy of 10 years. And that was just an amazing thing, but it, it was birthed with a vision. And, and, of course, that vision has taken root, and now we're doing all kinds of other things. There's people talking about going on Mars, which I don't see the point of going on Mars, but, I, but they're talking about it. But for me, I've always been fascinated by space and by the exploration and all those other things. But all of that happened when a vision was spoken into reality. Because when that vision was spoken into reality, it wasn't just President Kennedy amongst his cabinet members, and he said, you know what, it'd be really cool if we did this. He didn't go through with, with, with his wife and just say, you know what, oh, this would be pretty sweet if we as Americans could put someone on the moon and they could actually walk on the moon. He didn't say to, to you know, uh, to other people and, and people even in, of influence to say, you know what, I know it's not possible, but dream with me. Wouldn't this be neat if we did this? Instead, he made that vision public, and it went in front of all of America. And, and because all those people pulled together, they did the unthinkable. There were technological advances within that 10 years. There was advancements in metallurgy within those 10 years. There was advancements in, in rocket propulsion in those 10 years. There was advancements even in the suits that they wore within those 10 years. And then when that vision was spoken, it got other people dreaming with him. You know, when we look at the Bible and we look specifically at the Sermon on the Mount, I believe that was a vision casting moment for Jesus. I believe at the, at the forefront of his ministry, when he's, he's digging into what we know of in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving a vision of the kingdom of God. 
And I believe what he's doing is he's not just putting out these rogue ideas in people's minds. I believe what Jesus is doing is he's supplanting belief in their hearts. And I believe in that, that he's putting this even an ember for some because not everybody even believed all of what Jesus was teaching at that time. But instead, what happened was Jesus planted that ember in their hearts and then through it, they would trust God, they would receive the Holy Spirit, and that they, in essence, would be the people that God would use to change the world. I want us to get into one of these passages, I believe, that Jesus designed to change the world in Matthew 5. We're going to look at just a few verses, and I I have other supporting verses. I'm not sure which ones we're going to hit and which ones we're not. I just want us to kind of camp on uh, this one in Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open there. Uh, If you are looking at a screen, you can, however, I don't know how you're going to get there, but get there. And if you don't have a Bible and you don't have a phone and you would like to look at the verses yourself, we actually have put Bibles underneath the seats all around, being mindful of you. And um, just so if you want to see it for yourself, you can. This passage, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, this is after uh, the, the moment when Jesus, he starts talking about the Beatitudes, and, and he had already talked about salt and light and the power of influence, the fulfillment of the law. And he had talked about a redefinition of murder and adultery and divorce and, and oaths. And now he's about to redefine a principle, a law principle that had existed for many, 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 many years, even prior to Jesus coming onto the earth. And that is the principle of an eye for an eye or just retaliation. This is what Jesus said in verse 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, he's about to redefine some things. Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your your, your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus is about to clarify and redefine a principle that even existed outside of the Bible. Ancient text way before Jesus stepped foot on earth, they they believed in this, the law of retaliation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you do to me, you deserve that I would do the same to you. And, And that... That lasted for a while because people, um, even that principle, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that was, although it seems barbaric to us, it was actually a way of maintaining justice in, in ancient times because people would go overboard with this idea of retaliation. What might Jesus be saying to us in this passage? We're about to find out. I'd like to tell you a story first because I think this story helps us to understand how we view retaliation. The story goes as this. One summer evening in Nebraska, a weary truck driver pulled into uh, a a 24-hour truck stop. He went in there. He was tired, and he was hungry. And the waitress had just served him his meal. He was sitting down enjoying it. He was sitting in in a corner booth by himself when all of a sudden three men came in, and these men were uh, the... uh, the, the motorcycle 
gang-affiliated type of men. You get the picture. And they come in, and they're a little rough, and they just got off their motorcycles, and, and they, they have that persona about them, and they're very much like a gang. Well, the weary truck driver is sitting over there in the corner booth by himself, and these men, they see him, and they also see somebody that they can just take advantage of. So they make a beeline over there, and they start messing with him. And one of them grabs his coffee and takes a drink. The other one grabs a handful of fries and starts eating. The other one grabs his burger. The man sitting there, just minding his own business, and now these uh, rough and gruff men come in, and, and what would we do in this situation? What would you do in this situation? The man stands up, and he just quietly stands up, and he just ignores them, and he walks out, out the door. And one of the uh, motorcycle riding men, they, they look at the waitress and said, well, he's not very tough. And her response was this, well, I don't know if he's very tough, but I can tell you he's not much of a truck driver because he just drove over three motorcycles on the way out of the parking lot. You see, we laugh at that because we inherently see that that man was victimized. And because he was victimized, we laugh because we actually want him to get revenge. That's why we laugh. We laugh. Yeah, sure, it's funny, but also there's a part of that that we're just saying, you know what? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You get that. That's a pretty good trade. A cup of coffee, a bite of my burger, and a handful of of my fries, and now you get to pick up the pieces of your Harleys. Like, we look at that from a a very retaliatorial position, don't we? And I kind of trapped you into that. I feel bad about it, but you get the point. Because we we look at that with an understanding of our own fallenness and and our our own understanding and experiences and maybe even our own trauma, so we default to these things, and without God's help, we will always default to our flesh. And our flesh always wants to be validated. We want to validate that flesh. If somebody does something against us, we want to validate that flesh by doing something against them. But Jesus didn't do that. He doesn't want us to do that. As a matter of fact, this is what Peter said about Jesus in 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The next verse. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've turned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Matthew, the gospel writer, he said this in Matthew 9, 36, talking about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You and I, friends, we need to see people like Jesus does. We need to see people like Jesus does. Jesus, he he looks at these people not with, with judgment, He knows everything about their lives. 
He knows every bad decision they've made. He knows about their bad attitudes. He knows everything about them. And yet, what did Jesus do? He willingly went to the cross and he died for them. And even when the oppressors were coming at him, he did not retaliate. He did not hurl insults. Instead, he submitted himself to the Father and the process by which our salvation could be secured. And that is what changed the world. It was the gospel message that changed the world. When people actually were living as saved people, it was that that changed the world. If not, it would have just been a little, a little blip on the screen on just a timeline of history that happened that had some, some really cool teachings in this little movement, and it would have died in, in the Middle East, but it didn't. The movement simply began in the Middle East, and it spread throughout all of the world. Why? Because Jesus died for sinners, and we, people just like you and I, decided that we're going to trust God and not retaliate, but instead we're going to offer compassion. We're going to give them the message of hope. We're going to lean in when the world says lean out. We're going to trust God even through adversity. We're going to trust God even through pain. We're going to trust God in moments that maybe seem scary to us. And, and you know, my buddy Nick says this. He talks about as Christians, he says, sometimes Christians just have the showly ghost. You know, we come into church, we can have the showly ghost. We can put the smile on our face and we can make our kids like stand in line and we'd be like, all right, straighten up, we're at church, put a smile on your face. Like we can do all that's the showly ghost. But yeah, and we can do that. We can put on a face when we come to church and we should not do that. We should be who it is. We should be ourselves when we come to church. And if we're struggling that day, it's okay to go to a friend to say, hey, I'm struggling that day. It's okay to come to me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling. And I want you to do that. But here's the thing. We can fake it when we come into church. But who you are and what's inside of you is revealed when there's adversity. When there's adversity and somebody bumps into you, somebody with a bad attitude and, and how you respond to that, when you're leaving church today, somebody may cut you off when you get out to 29. Somebody come in here, they, they, they rubbed you the wrong way because they didn't say hi and you wanted them to. You woke up this morning and you had a toothache. Well, there's some adversity. What you're made out of just came out. You wanted your tooth to come out, it was just pain. Right? You, you didn't... You didn't get paid what you thought you were supposed to get paid because you worked overtime. And how you respond to that, you just got bumped into a little bit, maybe a lot. You get the point, right? The real you comes out in points of adversity. We can fake it. Even Christians, we can fake it and we can be so good at it. We can fake it and we can live in struggle Day after day after day, and we can fool everybody else into thinking that our lives are awesome, even when they're not. You see, adversity reveals what the heart conceals. That adversity, in those moments, it reveals what's inside of us. It reveals do we really trust God? Do we really have faith to believe? 
Are we really trusting the Holy Spirit will, will develop the fruit of the Spirit in us as we, as we cling to King Jesus? It's that adversity is going to prove whether or not we're in Christ. That's an important distinction because there's adversity that's brought into this passage that Jesus originally taught and that we're uh, seeking to get a better understanding of. Back to our passage, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In other words, do not make opposition against is what Jesus is saying. Do not make them an adversary. They may make you an adversary. Do not make yourself an adversary to them. They're coming at you. Do not come back at them. Do not resist an evil person or an evildoer, as some translations say. Notice what it says, and here's the adversity. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. If you're taking notes, first thing we'll talk about is the second cheek. The second cheek. Jesus is talking about a loss of dignity because it is one thing to be slapped upside the face in, in that culture and in ours, if somebody is slapped upside the face, that means one thing. But if you're slapped upside the face with the back of your hand, it means something else. And that is what Jesus is talking about. It's like, sure, uh, there's going to be a, a, a moment. Maybe if, if someone strikes you upside one cheek, he says, turn the other cheek. Give them the second cheek. And by giving them the second cheek, it's, will, it's, it's putting yourself in a situation to risk some dignity. He says, because assuming right-handed to that cheek, same right hand, the other cheek. That's adversity has to do with the loss of dignity. Like we, we have certain moments where we're put in situations to lose some dignity, aren't we? Sometimes we're, we're put in situations to lose dignity because uh, maybe we're just standing up for what's right. And maybe we just have to kind of lose some dig- dignity if even in following Jesus. And an example, it's kind of a funny example when I was in uh, children's ministry. I was a director of, or uh, I was a children's pastor for five years. And amazing, that was my entry into ministry. And, and one of the things that I had to do was I had to lead kids' music. I'm not a singer. Nate, not one time, has asked me, he says, Pastor, why don't you get up and sing a song? Like, never. Because he loves me, and he loves you, and he cares about your hearing. <laughs> amazing thing about kids is they don't care. They don't care. You just stand up there. If you're off pitch, you're off key, they don't know what those words mean. You can, they just get into it, and you just go full bore. And kids are amazing like that, so forgiving. So I didn't have, I didn't have the skill to sing, but I did, I did have volume. That's what I had. I had volume. So I didn't sing well. I sang loud and had some amazing times. Now, now granted, there were, there were adults in the room, too, who were enduring some of my singing. I risk losing dignity in front of them because I know that I don't sing that well. But I also know that I I wanted to help lead these kids in worship so that they could have authentic encounters with Jesus. So I was willing to look undignified, to put my dignity aside to exalt King Jesus. There are moments, too, I mean, even the first time I spoke was here so many years ago. And it was one of those things I was asked to speak on a Sunday nights when we had Sunday night services and I had never spoke publicly in, in 
in this kind of gathering, I did have a speech class that I kind of meandered through at Southern, but it's like nothing, I wasn't good, I wasn't in order. And yet, when you get up and somebody asks you to get up and do something that you know you're not 100% in yet, you risk a little dignity. Because what if my message flopped? It probably did, by the way. But what if, it, what if that happened? What if I, I got tongue-tied? What if I forgot my points? What if, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if I fell down because there's water all over the stage? What, I mean, anything could happen at this moment. It's like I was risking some dignity to follow Jesus into places that I knew I had to go by faith. The next thing that we see in this passage, not only is it turning the right cheek, turning the other, but it says, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If you're taking notes, the next thing that you could write down is the second tunic. But actually, I just, I I put those words there. They're not actually correct because it's a tunic and cloak. So if you're next to that tunic, you could put cloak. I just want you to know that it's a second layer of, of a second garment, a second layer to wear. Now, what's interesting about this is Jesus is talking about the the loss of personal possessions. The loss of personal possessions. The tunic was the, the inner layer, and that somebody could, by law, take away from you. But the cloak is the outer layer. It would be used for multiple different things, not only to stay warm, but also bedding at night for some. It was the cloak that was, that, was, that was by law that they could not take away. They could take away just about everything else, but they could not take away your cloak because that was deemed as being unethical. So what is Jesus getting at? Jesus is saying, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Let him know that that you're willing to risk losing things for the sake of a relationship. Now let's talk about the second mile, the one that is most common to us. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In their culture, a Roman soldier with his, his heavy burden and pack, he could look upon a Jew or somebody else who, who the the Roman Empire went in to occupy their land. And by law, the Roman soldier could just demand that a Jewish man, say for instance, would carry his pack for one mile, which was about a thousand paces is how they had it figured out. So at any point, it didn't matter what was going on with the the Jewish man. The Roman occupying soldier could demand that the Jewish man carry that pack Irregardless of what was going on, the, the Jewish man could say, hey, yeah, I, I, I can't right now because my baby's being born. No, you will carry my pack. I, I can't right now because I have to go to work. I have to go open up the shop because if, if, if I'm not there, then, then the, the city's not going to need me. And, and that, that Roman soldier could look at the Jew and say, Jew, pick up this pack and carry this pack. Jesus is saying, be willing to go beyond what's expected Because the unexpected is the thing that God will use 
to bring about a better relationship. Because what was expected is the one mile. Picture this. So a Jewish man's walking along the road. He's, he's got his whole plan. He's, he's just doing his own thing. So he's walking along the road, and then a Roman soldier walks next to the, to the Jewish man. He says, Jew, get over here and carry my pack. What if the Jewish person didn't say anything, but he simply carried his pack, and then he got at step 999, and then he told the Roman, he says, I'll just carry an extra mile for you. Who becomes more powerful in that analogy? The Jewish man. Then all of a sudden, it's not about this distance between them, two different people. Instead, what could happen for the purposes of the gospel if, and we don't know this from the passage, so I'm just kind of just, throwing, just kind of casting this out, but what, would ha- what could happen if in that second mile the Roman looks at the Jewish man and he says, why in the world did you do this? Why would you do this? The last guy hated me. The last guy gave me nothing but grief, and at a thousand, as soon as he hit the thousandth step, he dropped the bag, and he turned and walked away. He didn't say anything else. The only thing he had was disgust in your eyes. Could you imagine what kind of conversations would have happened over that mile walk with the Jewish man or a Christian man carrying a pack, somebody who'd given their life to Jesus, and then... Now with that Roman soldier, can you imagine what good that could have done to that man? The next is this from the passage. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is Jesus talking about the second dollar. The second dollar. A loss of money, if you will. A loss of money. Jesus wants the Christian life to be a generous life and generous without condition. Jesus wants us that if we see someone in need who truly is in need to help them meet that need without thoughts of what are they going to do with that money? Do they really need food? They're probably wasting that food. They're probably doing this. They're probably doing that. Jesus just wants, even in our heart, he wants our answer to be yes. And of course, it needs to be filtered through the Holy Spirit. We don't just, we're not, we're not advocating socialism here, right? So this is some government program. I'm talking, this is about personal relationships. All four of these things that Jesus talks about is about ways to restore relationships, especially in moments when we want to retaliate, Jesus is rewriting the rule for us in moments when we want to retaliate, but to instead to respond in love, not anger, not slander, not malice, not greed, not pride, but love. Romans 12, 17 through 20 says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it, is po- if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over- overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. Friends, the second mile, the second tunic, the second dollar, the second cheek is about forming a relationship. It's because it is through relationships that the gospel flows. And it is through relationships that the gospel flows. And it is also through the vision that Jesus is casting in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 of what the kingdom of God is like that the Holy Spirit would use people like you and I to change the world when we seek not to retaliate, but instead invest in, pour into, and lean into. The second mile doesn't begin with a measuring rod. Here's what I mean. It doesn't begin with like measuring out like, okay, well, as long as you do this, I'll do that. Well, I'll help you out, but only if you help me. Well, I'm not going to go encourage them. They have never encouraged me one time. That's a measuring rod. That's doing to others only what they do to you. So the second mile is not a measuring rod. The second mile begins with the first. I have some examples of first mile occurrences. You ready for them? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. First one is this, great things for God start with small times with God. Reading your Bible, first mile. Praying, first mile. Meditating on the scriptures, first mile. Serving, first mile. I'll add to that, don't despise the small jobs. There's, there's nothing to despise about changing diapers because one day the, the little human beings that are occupying and during those diapers could be the type of people that God would use to change the world. Our kids' ministry, our student ministry, down to our little babies who do nothing but spit in other things, have the potential to save or to, to seek uh, the world that Jesus would save the world through their actions. Don't despise the small jobs. Don't, dis- don't despise just giving a simple announcement. Don't despise handing out a worship guide at the door. Don't despise you just standing in the foyer just shaking hands and saying hello to people when they come in. Don't despise those moments where you see somebody across the room and they have that obvious look of hurt in their eyes and you make, you make a beeline over there. It seems so small and insignificant, but you literally could change their day. You could be a part of changing their destiny simply because you embrace something so small. Don't despise the small jobs. Attending church is first mile. It's first mile. Being here, first mile. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is, this is the base level expectation. Being in a life group, first mile. Tithing, first mile if you're a Christian. Defending your church, first mile. Serving in the local church, first mile. And I'm not trying to make you feel exposed if you're not like batting a thousand with those things. But there needs to be a reckoning in our lives. If we're going to embrace the future that God has for us as a church body, as people, if we're going to be the type of people that God would use to reach our lost neighbors, if, God, if we're going to be the type of people that, that instead of adding to the world's problems that we seek to bring redemption into the world in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to be second milers, not first milers. Good news is this. There's power needed for the second mile. This isn't a matter of you just trying really hard. 
There's power needed in the second mile. It's the same power if you go into Acts 1.8. The launching of the, of the early church when the church started to explode. The church started with 12. It went down to 11. It went back to 12. Then it went to 120. Then it went to 3,000. Then it went to 5,000. And then apparently they stopped doing math because there was just so many people. Because the message was spreading so quickly, because people were getting saved so quickly, because people were gathering into the church so quickly. And those people who gave their life to Jesus, they experienced the power of God. It's the same power of God that Jesus said was on offer in in Acts 1.8. When Jesus told them that there would be power, power engulfing their life, so they wouldn't just have to go do things on their own. That, that a walk with Jesus isn't just a matter of some self-help book. Well, there's power needed for the second mile, and, and this I want you to know, there's a place for you in the second mile. There's a place for you. The four tenets that we have as a church is we want to be a church that helps everyone feel like they can belong. No matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what, what socioeconomic uh, where they are in the socioeconomic status of our culture, that anyone would feel like they have a place here. Anyone would feel like they can belong. That even if they don't have all the finer points of the theology down yet, but they can feel like this is a place to explore faith and to grow in faith because not only do we want you to belong, we also want you to become like Jesus. That's our goal. We want you to become like Jesus. To do so, you also have to go beyond yourself. You have to go beyond yourself. This isn't just about you and your walk with Jesus. This is about you and and all of our communal uh, walks with Jesus together. And also, we want you to begin again. We want you to, to, with, with what God has given you, we want you to pour that into somebody else. Even if you feel like, All that you have is a thimble left to give. Give that thimble to somebody else and watch God fill that thimble and give you you a vessel that's deeper and a life that's deeper and richer in, in the things of God because the more that you give out, the more that he puts in. The more stingy you become, the smaller your life gets, the smaller your influence gets, and the less you're going to experience God in the way that you want to experience God. in the world that we should. We need to be people who experience the second mile. And and, and I want to encourage you with this too. There's purpose in the second mile. The word purpose is a catchphrase. It has been for a long time. But there's a purpose for your life in the second mile. That means that no matter where you work, No matter what your past has been, there's a purpose for you in the second mile because God wants to use you to restore a relationship. God wants to use you not only to restore your personal relationship, but I believe God wants to use you to help others to have a restored relationship with their Heavenly Father. And I've spoke around this several times, but there's a plan to redeem the world in the second mile. 
There's a plan to redeem the world in the second mile. What might this mean for you and I going forward on this Vision Sunday? What this means for us is we need to see people the way that Jesus saw people. Because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This also means that we need to explore new ways to reach new people. That we will be maximizing technology to reach people for the gospel. Which means for us that, that we are pouring into our kids' ministry like we hadn't been in, in the years in the past. That we're investing in financially and relationally. And just with some good old-fashioned sweat equity, we're, we're doing that. Why? Because there's a generation that needs Jesus Christ. There's a generation one day that we're going to pass off all that we are to that generation and our influence is going to wane and theirs is going to get up to, theirs is going to be paramount and theirs is going to be on the perimeter pushing back the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light. And we have to do everything in our power to see to it that they're fit for the task at hand. But it doesn't stop there. That means for us, there's, there's going to be some asks of you in the future that you would become second milers. We're exploring right now of, of us going to a second service. And that's looking like a reality very soon. And I say that with caution, but I say that like just in admiration of the things that God is doing at our church. Because when I think of the second mile, I think of your neighbor who hasn't come through these doors yet. And I'm thinking your neighbor, your coworker, needs a place to sit. Look around. Where would they sit now? I'm thinking that person who just, who just desperately needs Jesus and you know they need Jesus I'm thinking of that person. I'm thinking also of the person who I've never met. But in six months, they're going to be coming to Calvary and they're going to be coming for a fresh word from God. And I want them to have a place where they can come in and they can sit and they can explore the things of God and explore faith and get to know the the God who loves them. You see, when we start seeing people the way that Jesus saw people, we're willing to make ourselves a little uncomfortable to embrace a future, and it's the future that God has been about the whole way. Because it's always been about the kingdom of God. It's always been about people. It's always been about advancing the gospel. It's always been about creating space in your life so someone else would see your walk with Jesus, that you could give them words and share the gospel, that their lives could be redeemed. That's always been the message. That means we have to put away the showly ghost and we have to trust in the Holy Ghost. Which means we're going to make some mistakes, that we're going to be uncomfortable at times. We're going we're to say and do things that... that that we're like, we're trying to do the right thing and yet somehow we do the wrong thing. And we're gonna need grace. We're gonna need understanding. But what we're gonna need is you. All of you. Because if we're gonna be a second mile church, if we're gonna be willing to, to risk losing some things 
so people can have a restored relationship with God, we're going to have to get a little uncomfortable too. But it's a risk we're taking. Would you stand? So several months ago, this idea came to mind. I'd already known what passage I was going to preach, and it just, it just, God just gave this to me, and he's still like revealing things to me about this. But if there's a way that I can encapsulate what God is doing in 2024, it's, it's with this phrase, one more in 2024. What are we going to do, Pastor? We're going to do one more. How far are we going to go? We're going to go, we're going to go one more. How much are we going to give? We're going to give a little more. Well, well, I serve, Pastor. What does that mean? That means maybe you need to go one more. That means for you, if you if your commitment level is really small, maybe that means you need to go one more step into your commitment level. And to risk being uncomfortable so that those who far, are far from God, those who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, can get to know the God that loves them. If you're in for that journey, raise your hand this morning. God, I thank you for these men and women, boys and girls. I thank you, God, for the vision that you're giving us. God, this is all about people. Just as this passage that was preached today was about people, It's about restoring relationships. We give the second cheek, we give the second tunic, we give the second dollar, we go the second mile so that people would have a relationship with you. Lord Jesus, help us by grace to be able to embrace this truth, to walk it out practically, to trust you with the process. And I pray, God, that you would bring about a mighty result with our obedience. Amen. Which one of the seconds is the one that you struggle with? Which one of the four that were mentioned in the passage? Which one? As we respond with singing, maybe you just need to take a moment in your seats and you just need to go to God and just give that struggle to Him. But maybe even that there's a, there's a person who comes to mind and maybe what you need to do is you need to just either come forward or, or stay in your seats and just pray for that person that that person would receive you. One thing's for sure, God's moving, God's working. God has a plan for you. Step into it.